You know, technology is fun, isn't it? Somebody said amen. This week I'm saying oh my. You remember back in school, some of you who are my age or maybe a little older, if you didn't turn your homework in, what happened? You got a zero. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Technology is so great, I can't even find my notes this morning. Oh, my Lord. I'm in the wrong place. I'll start to preach a funeral. Ah, that's not good. But back in my day, if you didn't turn homework in, nobody really knew about it except you and the teacher, right? Your parents didn't know what was going on until the grades came in. But now, Cammie, what's it called? Skyward. Every student hates Skyward. You know why? Because their parents know when they don't turn stuff in. Well, this week I needed Skyward. Because if you're looking at the bulletin this morning, you're looking at last week's outline. I didn't turn my homework in. And my helper didn't notice, which is not her job. It's my job to put it in there. I'm praying that the outline is correct in the PowerPoint because I do that too. So we'll find out here in a minute how bad my week was and how I didn't do my homework. Well, we're in the midst, almost toward the end of a series I've been working through called Home Improvement. And you know, every one of our homes could use a little improvement, couldn't they? And we talked about the first week about the importance of our personal relationship with Christ. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, it's hard to have a good home. I mean, you can have a decent home, but you don't have the best home that you want. And then we talked about that complementary roles that we carry within families under God where we have a place of service, that we need to fill our role, do the things that God calls us to do as husbands and wives and to support each other. And then we talked about the power of legacy. Every one of us is leaving a legacy whether we know it or not. The question isn't, are we leaving a legacy? The question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? And then last week we talked about the intentionality of moving forward in life. Today I want to talk to you about the idea of prayer. Because without prayer and persistent prayer, we really are not in touch with the one who can make a difference in our families. We're going to look at a story this morning that is, I think, one of the strangest little stories in the New Testament. Uh, It is set... Um, in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I have to be careful because, you know, I'll know I like history and I could go off into a 20-minute conversation about Tyre and Sidon, but I won't. But basically it's this. There are cities that are today located in Lebanon, so they're to the north of Israel. They're along the coast of the Mediterranean, and they were city-states from ancient days. I'm talking 2,000 years before Christ they've existed. They're ancient cities that have been conquered and not conquered over the centuries and have stood the test of time. You really can't get there today because Lebanon's a mess, but if you could, you see some pretty amazing ruins uh, and even people living there. Now, these cities were the descendants, were populated by the descendants of the Phoenician sailors. These were men who uh, were sailors, they were merchants, they were settlers, they were explorers, they were some pretty amazing people, but they were also pagans. They were not part of God's people. In fact, when God told uh, the people they were going to possess a land, it included this territory. However, God's people's faithlessness in times caused the descendants of the original settlers to stay there. So you've got a group of pagans living along the edge of God's people and the influence that that could possibly affect. They were the people who founded the city of Carthage, which is in Tunisia, clear across the Mediterranean. And they were part of that expansion across the western part of that part of the world uh, and the world they knew. 
But this morning I want to talk to you about prayer because in this story we find Jesus uh, and his disciples have been hanging out down around the Galilee and they want to take a break to, to do a spiritual retreat, to get away from things. And so Jesus leads his disciples north and west, about a 40 to 50 mile walk to the plain of the Tyre and Sidon area. And they're hanging out there when this story happens. Look at verse um, in Matthew 21, excuse me, 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, from uh, the Galilee, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed, not possessed. And you need to notice the little subtle difference there. Oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed instantly. Father God, we pray that as we look at this little odd passage that seems almost mean at one level, that God, you would show us what we need to grasp about prayer and the importance of being persistent in prayer, of coming with the right attitude in prayer, of not giving up in prayer, but Father, keeping on, keeping on for our family's sake, for our sake, that you could bless us through that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you had looked at the outline before church this morning, you might have thought to yourself, we're going to be here all day because there's actually eight points. But there's a little secret about me and preaching. The more points there are, the less I say. And the less points there are, the more I say. So you're in good company this morning, all right? First of all, I want you to see this. She does this. She cried for mercy. Look how it starts out. Jesus went from this district, ends up in the Tyrant side. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Notice what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So our story begins. Jesus' disciples are outside the traditional region of the Jewish people, outside of where God's people live. But notice this. Jesus was not there on accident. He intentionally went there. He went there, I think, with this exact encounter in mind. He wants to go have a conversation with his lady. And Mark, even, when he uh, included the account of this story, he took note that Jesus was in a house and the woman actually came looking for him in the house. I think there's, a, there's some intentionality here. So get the picture. Jesus has walked 30, uh, 40, 50 miles to be in a town ostensibly to get away from the religious leaders, to give him a break from their hounding, to get his guys out away from that situation. And this scene happens. And what a moment it is. The woman comes to him. And I want you to understand the word that's translated crying in the English Standard Version is really not just, oh, would you help me? It is a, oh, my life's a mess. It's terrible, terrible, awful, awful. She's kind of in a panic. Okay, y'all with me? And you need to grasp that because that is part of the situation going on here. Now you're going, well, Patrick, of course she has that. Her daughter is oppressed by a demon. Any mom's not going to be concerned about that. Any mom's not going to be emotional about that. Of course not. We're all going to be in that situation. But she comes in this mindset that says, it's got to happen. And she cries out. And I think she's tried everything she could to get her kid fixed. 
or to be delivered from this situation. And her words are instructive. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed. Now, there's a lot in that little statement that we can't take time to look at, but I want you to catch three thoughts here. She makes her request known. She knows what she wants, right? She says, please help. She also acknowledges who Jesus is. Did you catch that? He, she says, O Lord, son of David. She recognizes that she, he is part of the heritage of the kingdom that is next door. It's not her people. And she shares the problem. She says, here's my issue. My daughter is severely oppressed. It seems in the language, though, she's being shrill, screaming and hollering. In many ways, she reveals a great degree of faith, though. Here's a Gentile, a non-Jew. She goes to the one who she believes to be the son of David. So is she believe he's the Messiah? Maybe, maybe not. But she believes he can do something. And while we don't often think that like she does, she knows in her heart her daughter has a problem. Her daughter has an issue. She needs it taken care of. So she goes to Jesus and says, please deliver my daughter. She's oppressed by a demon. I think she could have said with Peter what Peter said in 1 Peter 5. He says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I think she believes and understands in her heart Jesus can do something. And her shrill attitude, she believed the right attitude. But notice Jesus' answer. It's a real short little phrase here, but I want you to focus on it just a second. Look at verse 23. Jesus gave no answer. Not yet. Jesus gave no answer yet. He did not answer her a word. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that a little odd. Jesus is listening to her, hearing her, and he ignores her. So with this woman crying out to Jesus for mercy, the assumption is what? Jesus, he's going to do something. But notice he says not one word. I'm, a, I'm thinking, Jesus, that's a little harsh. Jesus, that's a little callous. That's a little mean maybe. But catch this. Here's what Jesus, I think, is doing. He's laying a stumbling block in front of the, in the individual here who came to him so they can step back and go, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what, let me make sure I got it right. Let me get it correct. Let me get the thought clear in my head. This woman is in panic, absolute panic. She's, she's at the proverbial end of her rope. She's about to give up. She doesn't know what to do. And she, it comes through her in her attitude. But Jesus doesn't respond. Not in the least. I think David felt that way, just like the woman sometimes, when he said, as we prayed a minute ago, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest you be silent to me. I become like those who go down to the pit. There are times and there are seasons in our lives, friends, when when our prayers will seem to just fall on deaf ears, don't they? We pray and we pray and we pray and we never hear an answer. We don't know what's going on. Maybe we've got the wrong attitude in prayer. Maybe we've got the wrong uh, voice in prayer. Maybe we don't really understand what we need to be doing, that we're not really trusting God in this moment, and we're trying to demand him to do something. In those moments, we are faced with a choice. Do we go on pressing, or do we give up? What do you do? Third, she persisted, though, in asking. Notice what happens here. You kind of have to read between the lines a little bit. To catch this, but notice what happens. And his disciples come to Jesus, and they didn't ask him, and they didn't request him. Look what they did. They begged him. Have you ever gone to somebody and begged for something? You're going, man, you have got to do something. Here's the thought I think we want to see here. He, he, they're coming to him saying, Jesus, you've got to do something else. This woman, she's about to drive us nuts. You know with me? She keeps asking and asking and asking and asking, and we're like, we don't know what to do. Jesus, will you do something? Send her away. 
Now, you can read that phrase one of two ways. Do what she needs so she can go on with her life, or just get rid of her, please. She's driving. Aren't we on retreat? Aren't we supposed to be relaxing? Aren't we supposed to be having a good time up here? And now we got this woman going, ah, please, help, help, uh, uh, uh. y'all with me? I get the feeling of the text. She's persisting and asking, not willing to go away, not willing to give up. But the big idea I want you to see here is this. She will not give up on her daughter. She believes that Jesus can do something. She believes that there's deliverance out there. She believes there's an answer to her prayer, and she's not willing to give up. Friends, there are times we go to God in prayer and we don't get an answer. What do we do? I'll just give up. I guess he's done. Maybe our choice needs to be to continue on praying, continue on asking, continue on begging. Say, God, would you do something? God, would you do something? Maybe he's letting the stumbling block lay in front of us to change our hearts, to change our attitudes towards what's going on here. Friends, there are times we may go to God in prayer and ask him to move, and it may seem like we're talking to nobody, but Jesus is still there. Paul told the church at Ephesus this, this was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have, catch this if you don't mind underlining your Bible later, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, through our faith in him. I had a friend of mine who leads a, a ministry in our region that helps the poor folks with food and clothing and things like that. And they're trying to find a building to move into. And they found a building that they're going to move into. Uh, they've got the offer accepted, and they, they're short one thing, just the money to buy it. That's all they need now, okay? And you're thinking, so they made an offer and didn't have money. Well, hang in there with me. He calls me and says, do you think our association might be able to do some of that? And I said, well, tell me what you're thinking. He tells me the amount. And he, then he says, well, maybe I should just ask for half of it. And I was reminded of this verse. I said, you go and boldly ask for the whole thing. Worst thing is, they'll say what? No, you don't have it now anyway. Go ahead and ask. I said, what if they come back and say, we'll do half if you can come up with the other half. I said, go boldly in believing that God can provide through that revenue. The money's there. The question is, can you get it? All you got to do is ask. You may or may not get it. Just like the Canaanite woman, folks, we need to be in our prayer lives persistent where we keep coming back, coming back, coming back. Where people kind of go, man, is he still praying about that issue? Can he not let that go? God hadn't answered yet. You don't give up, right? But then Jesus makes plain his purpose. Number four, he makes plain his purpose. Look at verse 24. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to stop and look at these kind of answers and go, what's he talking about there? I'm going to give you the theological definition here. You ready? He was saying this. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Y'all with me? Some of you are getting it, okay? He says, my calling, my purpose to be on this earth at this time was to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're going, who in the cat hair is he talking about here, right? 
What in the world? I had an old deacon of mine used to say cat here. I just came out. Sorry. At this point, we were thinking, what in the world? Maybe Jesus will heal. Maybe he'll do something. Hey, you know, he's healed many before. He's healed thousands. He's fed thousands. He's done miracle after miracle after minder. Just one more word. Just a word and it could be done. And Jesus does this. He goes, boom, lays a stopping block in front of her. He lays another stumbling block in front of this lady. He says, oh, well, you know, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I bet she's sitting there going, huh? with me? Because some of us are sitting here going, huh? What's he talking about? If that's who he was sent to, his focus is on the, not on the pagan people, but he was comes to the people of Israel. He's there to show them that the law and the prophets is going to be fulfilled, that God is going to provide salvation. He's at work here and they needed to receive. And you're going, so wait, 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 wait. Why is he up in Tyre and Sidon then? Shouldn't he be over there focused on the job he's there for? Oh, the light starts to come on a little bit. We read in Mark's gospel why Jesus came. We know why he came. Mark 1 says this, Jesus came into Galilee doing what? Preaching the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, while his focus is on the children of God, the Israelites, guess who else he's proclaiming the truth to? Oh, you and me? who are not Jewish, we ought to get really excited right here because the message is for us too. It's not just for those who are part of the family of the people of Israel. He's attempting to shift her focus, listen, from her daughter to her real need. What's her real need in this moment? You go, her daughter's got to be healed. She's she's oppressed by him. She's got to fix the problem. Whoa, what's the real problem for this lady? She needs salvation, doesn't she? She needs Jesus. When he mentions the lost sheep of Israel, they're not some select group of people. He's referring to everybody. In the words of Paul, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He is here for you and me. And he's doing his work. Number five, she humbled herself before Jesus. Now watch. She'd been pretty shrill and worried at this point. Look what happens in verse 25. But she came and did what? Underline that word. If you're okay with writing your Bible. She did what? She knelt. See, we don't kneel if we're screaming and yelling and hollering, do we? We don't kneel if we're demanding. We kneel if we have humility. She knelt before Jesus saying, Lord, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take my daughter and fix this problem and do this and take care of this. And would you go ahead and put this and take... No, no, no. Bring it down. She says, Lord, help me. You know, sometimes people think, well, pr- my prayer wasn't long enough. I don't know if God will do anything. Can let me tell you something. Your pr- the length of your prayer is not important. The attitude of our, heart, of our heart in prayer is way more important. Some of the best prayers are the shortest prayers we utter because they're coming from where? From our hearts. She says, Lord, help me. Now, now catch the scene at this point. Jesus has been approached by this pagan Gentile Canaanite woman who wants mercy for her daughter, suffering from a demon uh, oppression. Jesus doesn't bother to respond to her request. That didn't give her the reason to give up. Then the disciples say, Jesus, man, she is driving us nuts. Will you do something here? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm here to save the lost sheep of Israel. Includes this woman, by the way. Now you think, okay, the Canaanite woman, she might give up. Not her. She says, no. She kneels before Jesus. She asks him, 
not with the whining element in her voice any longer, not with a pestering of the disciples any longer. She doesn't pretend to be able to tell Jesus what to do. She simply says, Lord, help me. Man, things are changing for her, aren't they? She thinks going in the right direction. Writer of Proverbs says this, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. See, when we decide to be people who persist in prayer and don't give up, don't do it arrogantly. Don't do it demandingly. Don't do it shrilly, please. Shrilly, is that even a word? I don't know, we'll make it up. But do it humbly before the Lord. Come before him and say, God, here's what I, here's what, just do what you need to do. Jesus, whatever it takes, you do it. Lord, help me. What she does here is model not only correct persistence, but she models for us the correct attitude in coming to Jesus. Now you think, okay, man, Jesus is about to do something, right? We've already read the text. You know, we're not there yet. Look at verse 26. And Jesus answered and says, uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You're going, oh my goodness, Jesus, can you have a little compassion for her? She's been, she's got a kid with demon oppression. She's got a kid with struggle. She's got issues. She's got this. And Jesus goes, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wait, Jesus, did that what you, what he's doing is important. Catch this. He redirects her attention. At this point, if I'm the Canaanite woman, I'm probably a little frustrated because I've been asking and getting no answer. I've been persisting, but I get no answer. And Jesus is clarifying what he's there to do. But she's choosing humility. She's choosing to get to the answer. She keeps it. And, she goes, and Jesus goes, well, it's not right. It's not right to, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you've got to catch a little bit about the, the Greek language here to catch kind of the nuance here. He's not talking about, we think of dog as our pet. In the ancient world, dogs typically weren't pets. They just didn't have dogs. They were like out in the yard, keep the animals and the rodents away. They weren't. They didn't sit in your lap and watch TV, okay, like some of y'all do, all right? This is a different kind of dog. But he actually is referring to a specific subset of these wild dogs. He's talking about the little yippy dogs that are just annoying. I think it harkens back to her attitude earlier a little bit, shrill, annoying, loud, she says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it, throw it to the dogs. Now, before you get offense, offended here at what Jesus is saying, let me, let me try to paraphrase. He says, he's saying, I will not take what is intended for God's people and give it to you. And you're going, don't get offended. Hold on. What he's doing is not offensive. What he's doing is descriptive. He's trying to help her understand what's going on. As the promised Messiah, he's been sent to the people of God to fulfill the law and the prophets. His primary task on his earthly ministry is to get the, the, the good news of the Messiah to God's chosen people. Therefore, by definition, the Canaanite woman in our story was outside of God's people, outside of his pur- purview, in a sense, outside of his direction, though the gospel would in time apply to all. At this point in the story, it wasn't quite there yet. And remember, while Jesus and his team were on the pretense of a break, he was still there under the leading of God. And I suspect what Jesus does here is laying yet another roadblock in front of her to test her faith. He's saying, you know, you're not even the right ones to receive this. 
And the question becomes this, will she persist in prayer? Will she keep coming back to Jesus? Will she keep asking his plan for her life? Will she keep saying, Lord, up to you, do it? I can't help but wonder if maybe this woman had heard of the king of King David from years and years before when he said this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Man, she's got a serious problem. Y'all agree, right? Her kid's got demonic oppression. She's at the end of her rope. She's at the point where her voice is becoming shrill and grating. She's been an emotional wreck for a long time, it looks like, and she doesn't know where else to turn, and she's willing to trust Messiah from a neighboring nation, and his answer is, I won't throw the good bread to the dogs. How many of you give up now? I'm done. Okay, you're not going to help. How many of us would persist like she did? How many would keep coming back to here, only to hear, not now, maybe later, oh, you're not the right one, hang on. You're thinking, man, she's not done. Look at verse 27. She says, okay, you won't give me the bread, give me some crumbs. She begged for crumbs. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's beneath me. I got to tell you, when it comes to talking to the Lord Jesus about the issues in my life and my family and my church and my own personal walk with the Lord, there is nothing beneath begging for. Jesus, do something. She begged for crumbs. Look at the verse, verse 27. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She was persistent, unwilling to let it go, to leave her child in the mess that she was in. And on hearing that Jesus say, well, I can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. How about giving something? I'm going to tell you, she's persistent, if nothing else, isn't she? She's not willing to give up, isn't she? She says, okay, you're not going to give me the bread. How about the scraps? Can you do just something here? What she's revealing, guys, listen, is what we all need when it comes to prayer, not just persistence, but faith. This says, God, I know you can. I believe you can. I'm going to ask you again and again and again until you slam the door in my face. And I may keep on asking then anyway. How many of you have a child who's wavered in your life and you're thinking, man, I've been praying for years for that child, praying for that kid, praying for that kid. And God hadn't answered yet. You willing to give up? Mama, Daddy, you willing to give up? Of course not. You keep praying, right? Keep asking God to move in that situation. Paul later wrote to the Philippians, uh, to the Hebrews uh, this. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But there's a point, guys, when we just can't give up. Be bold in coming to the Lord. Be bold like that friend of the ministry here in our area that's looking for money to pay for a building. Be bold in asking God to move through his people, to move in circumstances, to move supernaturally if it needs to be. But to move, you see, the crumbs from the table of the Lord Jesus is way better than anything you get anywhere else. Come on, Jesus, do something. And then Jesus responded to humble faith. Look at verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed eventually, in time, instantly. Instantly. All the roadblocks fall away. The dead ends become straight. The woman persists in her faith and Jesus brings a blessing in her life. And after not responding and telling her he was there for the lost sheep of Israel and telling her he wasn't going to give bread to the dogs, he tells her this, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Her persistent faith has resulted in Jesus doing for her exactly what she wanted to have happen. But it took her getting in line with God for it to happen. Did you catch that? She had to line up with God's purpose and his will and his timing. Then it's going to happen. Two lives were changed through faith. Two lives were changed through persistent prayer. Over in the New Testament, in Philippians again, we're told this, don't be anxious about anything. But by everything in prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to go, known to God. You know, I wonder how many times we're on the verge of God doing something amazing that we'd go, oh, look, that was God. And we walk away. We say, well, I asked, and I asked, and I asked, and he never did anything, so I'm done. Why? If he didn't give you that answer of no, keep asking. And at times, even when he says no, keep asking. You're saying, well, does that mean God changes his mind? No, God is using prayer at times to get us in line with him so that our prayers line up with his will and his purpose so that our families are then blessed because of our faithfulness in prayer. The question comes, if, if you don't know Jesus, how do you talk to him? You're going, well, I can't talk to Jesus if I don't know, don't know him. No, I'm going to tell you something. You can talk to him one way when you don't know Christ. He hears your prayer when you ask for forgiveness and salvation. And then he has the door open then, from then on for you to come, whatever. This girl didn't know Jesus yet, and she's asking Jesus to do something. But finally, she gets lined up with him, and he lets it happen. Folks, God wants to work in our lives. God wants to work in our families in amazing ways. Don't give up praying. Don't give up asking. Don't give up coming back to him. He moves in his time and his will. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together in your house today. We pray for your hand to be in these few moments. Father, maybe there's someone who needs to respond in faith needs to trust you for the very first time. Maybe there's someone here who needs to trust that this is the place they need to plug their lives in as a church family and connect to this body officially. Father, maybe there's others that need to just say, God, I've been trying to do it on my own, and I gave up praying, and I need to start again. God, show us what we need to do in response, not to a preacher, but to your word. In Jesus' name.